You're listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Colorado Springs. This is Jenny Bayless, and I am here for part two of our Southern Colorado Investing Guide for Spring 2023. And I have a co-host for, for this portion. I have Jessica Connie with me. Jessica, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm so excited that you are willing to jump on and and you know educate everyone. Jessica works for um, Aslan Home Lending. Um, she's an investor herself, um, so I thought that you know she would be the perfect person to kind of talk about what we're seeing in terms of um, different types of loan products because a lot of things are changing, and then just general strategies that she's seeing. So Jessica, could you tell everyone a little bit about um, your background um, as both an investor and a lender? Of course. So I started off um, as a house hacker. I didn't know that was the term at the time. I was just like, I want to buy as soon as I have a job (laughs) and I want roommates to help me to cover the mortgage. Um, And that was the first, you know, kind of start to my investment journey. And I was immediately hooked. I mean, once you can start reaping, truly reaping the benefits of, you know, real estate investing, I think it's, you know, you just, everything just comes into place from there. So um, from that property, we were able to cover our mortgage completely. Um, I was living with four roommates at the time, two dogs, their significant others. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it was a full house. And, um, you know, I think we'll talk a little bit more about the house hacking strategy, but um, you know, as an investor, there's a, there's a profit and comfort continuum. So, you mm-hmm. know, the more profit sometimes is less comfort. And if you want more comfort, sometimes less profit, but not always that way. Yeah. Um, but I was definitely on the less comfort, more profit <laughs> but at the same time, you know, living with, living with really great people and great friends. Um, so it worked out well. So from there we were able to, I was able to save up, um, and, you know, kind of stack my portfolios. We had a strategy. And when I say we, I mean, my husband now boyfriend at the time, um, had a strategy of, you know, we bought properties truly as investment properties, like finance them like that. And we'll talk about, you know, financing as investment properties versus financing as owner occupied. And we've done kind of like the nomad approach, which is basically you move into a home, um, you finance it as your principal or primary, um, property, meaning that you're going to live in there. And then you secure by doing that, you secure the low down payment option. Um, and then the low interest rate and just more favorable terms. And then you move out and you retain it as an investment property. Um, so which usually helps when you have the lower interest rate, um, usually helps with cash flowing more too. So we've done a combination of those. Um, I currently do out of state investing and mostly in state investing, um, because my goals are more for appreciation. Cash flow is nice too, which, which Denver does. I think we have a good hybrid of both here, mm-hmm. um, in Denver and, you know, surrounding areas like Colorado Springs. Um, and then we also do long and short-term rentals. Wow. So you pretty much have, you know, done most of the, you know, primary strategies that people do. So I think that that's fantastic. And yeah, I know I've been harping on this a lot uh, for for people that have been, uh, you know, listeners of, of this podcast, but I think that the nomad strategy right now is just an absolutely fantastic way um, to maintain your comfort because the nomad strategy indicates that you purchase a home, you live in it, and then it becomes a future rental property. So you you don't necessarily have roommates and all that. 
Um, so you're able to, you know, maintain your comfort and then you're also able to, uh, get that benefit of a, of a owner occupied loan. So I think that is just a, a fantastic combination. Um, how many, how many properties do you have now doing the stack? So we have, um, five properties. Now we sold our very first home, the one that I mentioned with all the roommates, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, last year we had renovated that one ourselves and sold it. Um, and, and that's something that I should mention too. I don't know if you want me to touch on tax benefits at all of, of that strategy, like the nomad strategy. Please do. Yeah. Cause it yeah. is different than an investment, um, you know, per, pure investment real estate. So totally. And I think that's huge. And I'll just say my disclaimer right here. I'm not a CPA. I'm not <laughs> licensed to give tax advice. It's just my experience. Um, but when you, when you've lived in a property as your primary or principal residence for the last two out of five years, and you can basically, as a single filer, you can exclude up to 250 grand. Um, as a joint filers, you can exclude up to 500,000. So that's something that, you know, is huge. I mean, to be able to make income tax-free. And if you compare that to your working hours at your, at your W2 or full-time job, um, you know, how, how many hours you'd have to work to have that same amount of income. It's, it's huge. Um, it's, it's incomparable in my opinion, but we took advantage of that for that first house and it was a really hard decision. And I'm sure, and I know, I know a lot of other people in the market, um, are facing this decision too, because everybody's secured super low interest rates. I mean, more than half of financed homes right now have rates below 4%. And nobody wants to give that up. Yeah. So it's like, do we, do we sell? Do we retain it as a rental? Like, how do we make that decision? And that's something that, you know, I know you help with your clients with, and that's something that I'm kind of walking people through too. Perfect. Yeah. So if anyone wants to speak to their CPA, speak to their accountant about it, it's the section 121 exclusion uh, for capital gains on, on, on your primary residence. So definitely reference that when you have that discussion, because there are, there are some nuances to it. Um, and then, yeah, so I think, I think that's also another, um, another option that we haven't really been seeing, at least from our clients, I haven't seen too many live in flippers. Um, so maybe that might be coming back in style. I'm not sure. I think I have a lot of clients right now and especially, you know, right. I would say the past like 12 months has been a season for first time home buyers where mm-hmm. they haven't been able to get their foot in the market. Now they, you know, with higher interest rates, it's, it's pushing off you know, some other buyers who may not be able to, who don't want to give up that rate. And so first time home buyers now is their time to shine. Um, but there's still the affordability issues. So I think getting in a home where they can make some renovations themselves or, you know, build some sweat equity where they're doing the work themselves, that sort of thing. I've seen a lot of people with their goal to buy properties like that. So I, I do think we'll see more of that, um, moving forward as affordability continues to be an issue. Yeah. And, and, and on your continuum, as you call it, uh, that would probably be on the less comfort, um, side of things yes. living in a construction zone, but you know, um, potential for, for a really good return on that. So totally. yeah, yeah, that was awesome. So, um, just kind of going in, I, I, I like to think of, you know, I like to think of different, um, loan products as investor only, and then owner occupied, even though the owner occupied can be, you know, used after you've, um, you know, uh, lived in it for the requisite amount of time for your investment property or for your future investment property. But that's kind of how I think of things personally. Um, so I, I wanted you to hear today to kind of explain, walk, walk me through, you know, different types of loan products and just what you're seeing in the market, because, I feel like this has been one of the most um, 
dynamic lending environments that I've seen, you know, probably since I've started investing. Um, you know, there's just so many different options now and so many different rule changes that I think it's really important that everyone kind of stays up to date on that. So mm-hmm. we'll just kind of we'll just kind of dive right in on um, you know, peer investment loans for, you know, someone who's going to just go out and buy a rental property or buy a um, you know, uh flip even sometimes. Um, so the first one that comes to mind for me is a hard money loan. And um, you know, hard money loan is just really is private financing. Um, usually hard money loans, you know, with that coinage is there's a um there's a lender that kind of pulls money from individual investors and they'll lend it out to the real estate investor at a higher rate, they'll take their, their fee and everything, uh, for, for doing the, the legwork on it. Um, private money is just an individual lending money to another individual for the purpose of, of real estate investing. Um, usually at a lower rate, um, you know, so it's just kind of, there's, they're slightly different from one another. So people kind of use, you know, the terminology interchangeably, but, um, it's typically for a very short term, uh, usually acquisition, rehab, and then you want to quickly turn out of it because it's going to be more expensive um, than a traditional, you know, conventional financing. So what are you seeing in terms of hard money loans? I know you guys don't issue hard money, but you help people refinance out of them. So what can you share about that? Yeah. So the refinance, so that's, that's something good to bring up and speaking of like the changing, you know, lending environment. (laughs) So conventional, so typically when you get a hard money loan, you don't want to carry that for a long time Mm -hmm. um, because it's a higher interest rate, like you explained um, than any, the most other types of financing. Um, And so conventional, they just change their requirements, their seasoning requirements, um, which in the past were six months. So you had to, from from the original note date to the refinance note date, you had to hold that for six months, which some investors are like, that's so long as it is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, to carry that higher rate, you know, no. And so now they change that to a 12 month seasoning period um, for a cash out refinance. Um, so you can still do, I think some options to kind of get around that are, you know, you can still do a rate and term refinance um, mm-hmm. based on that, based on an improved, assuming you're going to do like a, like a Burr method. Yep. Um, and I don't know if you want to do, we should probably define what that is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Burr, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. Um, the, the, the strategy you just described is kind of how I supercharged my, my Burr portion of my portfolio is exactly what you said is that I, I ran into issues with the seasoning requirements, but after developing a relationship with the hard money lender. And again, this is a relational lending product. It's not, you know, conforming to any sort of federal guidelines or anything like that. Um, you know, they were willing to lend me 80% of ARV and then we were just able to do a rate and term refinance after we fixed it up. So is that still an option for people? Yeah. So the rate and term, that's an option. That's one of the options I was going to say. Okay. Um, so you just basically do a rate and term refinance based on the improved value and you can, you know, get into a lower rate because mm-hmm. um, the new seasoning requirements are just for the cash out refinance. Um, some other options for, I mean, obviously you could hold it for longer. For a year yeah. <laughs> people don't want to do that. 
Um, another option for those who might need the liquidity, um, they could do a DSCR loan or a debt service um, coverage ratio loan. And those loan products are basically, they're geared more towards the investment itself. Um, mm-hmm. You cannot have a DSCR loan with an owner-occupied um, product. So it's truly an investment product. Um, the big advantage of that is you're basically underwriting the loan based on the debt of the property um, and not your individual debt. So we're not we're not really looking at your individual income, which would be the case with you know a lot of other types of products um, that we'll talk about in, in a bit here. Um, but basically the DSCR is calculated by taking the net operating income and dividing it by the total debt service. So that's going to include you know, your principal and interest, your property taxes, your homeowner's insurance, any HOA if applicable. Um, ideally, in a, a ratio above um, 1% is preferred. Um, we do have products that allow as low as a half a percent. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I, know. I, <laughs> I saw that too. Yeah. The thing is, is, you know, when it comes to financing, most often there's a way to get something done. It's just at a cost of cost, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is going to be, you know, either fees up front or it's going to be built into the rate. So, um, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't love putting people in, you know, higher rate. I, I, I cringe anytime I have to give somebody a high rate. Um, but some people don't care they just want to get a property. So yeah. they're just happy to be able to purchase a home. So the, the debt service coverage ratio, I had a question on that. So does it also take into account contingency expenses? Like CapEx, repairs, vacancy, or is it only your hard costs? So it's it's essentially just your hard costs. It's okay. just as simple as that as that ratio. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then um when Jessica's referring to the ratio, you know, another way to think of it is for every dollar of rent you take in, you have one dollar of total expense. Mm-hmm. Um if, if it's a one, uh one ratio. So that the half is what kind of threw me for a loop, you know, because you're essentially coming out of pocket and, and the lender is fine with that. Um, so yeah. that was really interesting. I imagine that that's just for a very seasoned investor that has kind of like a short-term hold and is probably expecting conventional rates to drop would be my guess. I don't know. That, is that kind of what you're seeing? That scenario, I have one other client right now that they they really just want to put 15% down. They don't want to put 20% down. And with 15% down, your rate's a lot higher. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to make that one ratio work. Um, and of course, you let have less down payment. So your principal and interest is higher. So that's that's where, you know, but to them, it's important to them that they have more reserves um, and it's not tied up in a property but also, you know, like you said, the seasoned investor who's just comfortable and, you know, maybe has their next kind of plan to get out of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, once you've acquired enough properties, your older properties that are stabilized and, you know, cash flowing well, they can kind of help out your, your newer ones while you yeah, kind of figure exactly. out what's going on. Okay. Well, thank you so much for explaining that. Cause I, I feel like that's a term that we've been hearing a lot the DSCR, um, also, is DSCR uh, interchangeable with the non-QM terminology as well? Yeah. So non-QM. So yeah. So basically, QM products are going to be more your products that are um, like conventional financing, that sort of thing. Um, Non-QM products are going to be your DSCR. So it is used kind of interchangeably, but non-QM also includes um, bank statement loans. Oh, okay. 
which bank statement loans, that's something that you can use for investment properties. You can use for second home for owner occupied. And it's a product where, you know, say for example, you're self-employed and you um, write off all your income. (laughs) (laughs) So if I look at your tax returns and we try to go the conventional financing route, we might not be able to qualify a lot of income the traditional way, but bank statement loans, um, you can use your personal or your business um, bank statements. And basically your income is qualified based on the, the amount of deposits you have going in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then either, you know, a traditional 50% expense ratio is used, or if you can get a letter from your CPA saying that you have less expenses than that, you can use a lesser expense ratio. Oh, but wow. non QM okay. to answer your question also includes, you know, that in the category and a, and a few other products as well. Okay. And then also important to, to clarify hard money loans, you pretty much cannot use for your primary. Um, these non QM products, can you use them for your, your primary or is it only for investment? The bank statement you can DSCR loans. You cannot. Okay. Um, and actually there are a lot of restrictions um, that prevent uh, first-time homebuyers from using DSCR loans, um, just because there's actually it, there's there's re- it's like reverse mortgage fraud is what it's called. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so typical mortgage fraud is where you say a property is going to be your primary, mm-hmm. and then it's not used as an investment. Yeah. Um, reverse mortgage fraud is which is, it's so funny to say. Um, is where you use a DSCR loan um, and basically qualify because you're counting the income of the property, right? Yeah. Um, but then somebody moves into it um, because they can't qualify otherwise. And so that's that's something really big that a lot of DSCR um, products and lenders say that if you're, if you're a first-time homebuyer, you can't use that because mm-hmm. it's hard to sell it in the secondary market. And so um, there are some people that do allow it. But to answer your question, the DSCR, that's not, it's not for an owner occupied. Um, the bank statement is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. It's, it's always interesting to see what loan products are available for what purpose. And, um, you know, the only thing I can say to that is just, you need to be completely transparent to your lender and let them know what your intention is. Don't try to skirt around any issues so that everyone's doing the right thing and and, and adhering to the the lender's policies on that. So um, let's move to what most people typically think about is um, conventional investment loans. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about about those? Yeah. So to purchase as an investment, um, as an investment property for conventional financing, the minimum down is 15% you usually don't get a break in interest rates until like 20, 25%. Um, And I think, you know, most people are probably aware that last year, um, conventional financing changed their guidelines where they, they kind of brought um, pricing for second homes and investment properties in line with each, with each other. Cause so many people were buying second homes and just kind of using it like an investment property anyways. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, the advantage of an investment purchasing as an inv- investment property is that you can use some of the income um, for that property, for the subject property to qualify. Um, whereas with a second home, you know, when you intend to occupy that home for some portion of the year, you can't qualify any income, even if you're going to receive some. So um, the way that the way that that would be structured is is if, if you're buying a property, a subject property, and it's already um, already has a lease in place, um, 
your, your lender is going to look at the lease to try to qualify that. And then they're also going to get a certain type of appraisal that's going to basically look at market comparables for rent and then, you know, determine the, the rent amount that way or use that to support the, the lease rent. Okay. And then arms, they're also something that we've been hearing a lot about. Um, could you give everyone an overview of what an arm mortgage is, uh, or I guess an arm yeah, yeah, totally. AR mortgage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, in the in the simplest terms, an arm. So you have when you when you get a loan, you have two different kinds of um, rates. I would say you have a fixed rate or you have an adjustable rate mortgage. Mm-hmm. Your fixed rate is going to stay the same for the life of the loan. Meaning, you know, if you get a thirty year mortgage, it's going to stay the exact same unless if you were to refinance. An adjustable rate mortgage, on the other hand, you know it's going to adjust. (laughs) So, um, the periods of that adjustment are going to change. So for example, if you get a five year arm, that means that your, your mortgage is going to be fixed for five years. And then after that period, it will fluctuate. Um, the amount and the degree that it fluctuate is going to, it's going to depend on the caps. So there's, you know, a number of caps, like a lifetime cap. And so it says you can only fluctuate, you know, this much over the life of the loan, that sort of thing. I think for the purposes of our conversation, I, I don't, I don't think we need to go into all the caps and what no. <laughs> just knowing that an arm, you know, I think the reason why that, 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 that has popped up more now than it has in the past few years when rates were at historical lows, um, is because arms typically are lower rate, um, lower rates than, um, a fixed, mm-hmm. uh, but of course there's additional risk. So some buyers I have, they're just like, I don't ever want to talk about an arm. Don't ever present them to me. If <laughs> I don't care. Just don't even <laughs> bring it up. Yep. Um, some people, they, they know that they're going to refinance, um, very soon. They know that they're not going to be in the home for five years. So they're happy to get a five-year arm. Yep. Um, so that's, I think in this like higher rate environment, um, and I say higher rate with quotes because yeah. you know, it depends yeah. on who you ask. In the grand scheme of things. In yeah. the grand scheme of things. Some people, if you talk to people who purchased in the 80s, they're like, I finance my home at 14%. Yeah. 6% is great. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's it's all relative. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, an arm, I think, you know, again, just if it's something where it makes sense for you in that situation and an arm, if it's a significantly better rate, would be a suitable product for somebody. Yeah, I agree. I know that it it's become, you know, kind of a, a four-letter word from the the last real estate crash that happened. But um, like you mentioned, I think it's just very important to understand the terms of the note because generally speaking, there are caps that are somewhat reasonable, at least from what I've seen. Um, you know, obviously your mileage may vary, but like if if you know what the worst case scenario of this is going to be and you can still make it work you know, it might be worth pursuing. Um, I think it's just, you know, good to kind of know the overall risk for it. And again, I think this might be a good product for a, a, a more seasoned in- investor. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, when I know we're mostly focusing on investors and investment products, but um, you know, I typically don't bring up first time. I, I obviously gauge like everybody's comfort yeah. level and their risk level <laughs> and about what are your long-term goals for this property. And um, if it doesn't make sense for that person, I'm not even going to bring up arms, you yeah, know, and, and for some buyers, it's not, it's not typically the demographic that I see people seeking out arms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much for summarizing the main, you know, main topics for uh, investment 
um, loan products. Let's move on to owner occupied. Um, and I think that this is a great option for the house hacking strategy, which, um, you know, as you mentioned, that might involve you living in the home and, and running out rooms to roommates or, you know, maybe a, a basement unit, ADU, that sort of thing. Um, and then um, also the nomad strategy, meaning um, that you have to, you know, you, you you move into a home with the intent of turning it into a rental property after you've moved out, after you've, uh, you know, maintained your occupancy requirement for, for that loan product. So, um, and, and right now, I just, I really, I'm a, I have never house hacked in my life um, and I'm, way too, you know, comfortable in my own home right now to do this. But I <laughs> absolutely, I think that this is such a good option for people because you can put, you know, as little as three and a half percent down, zero percent down in some cases, if, you know, certain loan types um, to get into a property. And it's just, I think it's a lot less risky than, um, you know, Burr, for instance, because you're buying a property with, with Burr, you're buying a property and then refinancing it in the future. So you don't know what the rate's going to be. Whereas for an owner occupied loan, you know exactly what all your, your, your loan parameters are going to be moving into it. So, and then, you know, you can adjust as needed. So, um, you know, I, I know there's a lot of different types of products. Maybe we can just kind of go over them really quickly. Like, um, you know, basically what they are amounts down and just kind of some of the features of them. Yeah, totally. And and I think it would be helpful to define, you know, I don't, you've probably, of course, on this podcast have defined house hacking, but house hacking can, you know, the way we were just speaking about it, it can be somebody living in your house as a, as a housemate. Like I explained how I started off. Um, it could be living in a multifamily um, or multi-unit property, you know, say a duplex and somebody's living on the other side that's helping to cover some of your mortgage. You know, if you have up to a, a quadplex or four unit property, you know, that would probably be covering your, your mortgage and then some like cash flowing a little bit too. Um, it could look like, you know, you have an ADU on the property. So it's not always somebody sharing a kitchen or living in your home. Like, you know, I have a, I have a lot of clients that they, you know, they, live upstairs, they live downstairs and they short-term rent the other half. So mm -hmm. it could be, you know, on that same comfort profitability spectrum, it can be anywhere along that. Um, but some people are just like, I don't even want anybody on the property. I want yeah. an investment property where nobody knows where I live. You know, <laughs> um, but for the house hacking strategy or, you know, the nomad strategy, strategy, basically both of those purchasing as an owner occupied, you know, as we mentioned before, the huge advantage is getting the, the lower down payment option, um, whether you decide to take advantage of that or not and the lower interest rate, that's, that's the huge advantage there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, some of the tax benefits, which we, which we touched on a little bit. And again, I'm not a CPA, um, but basically some of those options are going to, are going to be conventional financing, um, so if you're a first time home buyer, you can purchase for as low, if it's your primary property, you can purchase for as low as 3%, um, down payment as a repeat buyer. So if you already owned a home, you can purchase for as little as 5% down payment with conventional financing, um, both VA and USDA, you have, um, the opportunity to purchase with 0% down payment. Um, and keep in mind, you still have closing costs because mm -hmm. I had somebody recently who <laughs> thought that 0% down just meant it was completely free. <laughs> I still some closing costs to put a loan in place yes. um, and to purchase real estate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so with, with VA financing, I think, um, 
a huge advantage to, to VA financing. If you've, if you've earned the opportunity to take advantage of that is, um, the fact that there's no mortgage insurance, Mm -hmm. um, VA, VA financing typically has lower interest rates as well. Um, something that's recently changed with VA financing is that the funding fee um, is a little bit lower than it has been in the past. And that's something that the rate is the the funding fee, it's basically an upfront um, fee that can be wrapped into your loan. And it's going to be based on whether it's your first use or your subsequent use. Um, and then USDA, um, that's going to be property dependent. So there are some places that are USDA eligible, um, here in Colorado. I actually have one that's under contract right now in Sterling, Colorado. Um, and so USDA typically has, um, the really good rates too, compared to conventional and some other products as well. Um, in the Southwest corners, um, Pueblo areas, there's, there's USDA properties that are eligible too. It's just totally property dependent. Okay. And then there's a couple of different um, programs out there. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with down payment assistance and and grant programs. Um, can you give everyone just like, you know, obviously it's very, very specific to the lender um, or, or the program uh, manager, but just in general, what, what are these? Yeah. So down payment assistance programs are great when they, when, when, you know, the, the buyer needs them in order to get into a home. So, mm-hmm. and like you said, they're very specific. Each one has their own nuances and guidelines. And as a loan officer, it's, it's my job to, you know, understand each person's goals and then look for a program that suits their goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so the down payment assistance programs, there's, there's 21 programs here in Colorado. Wow. Um, I had no idea. Yeah, there's so many. There's so many. And well, and a lot of a lot of the times, you know, we, we generally know like where the rates are for each one. So some, you know, I don't even look at because it just won't make sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, I have access to some down payment assistance programs that give you up to six percent of the of the purchase price, which is huge. Mm. There's yeah. other programs that give you um, assistance based on the loan amount, which is, of course, going to be less. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's two different types of down payment assistance. There's a grant, which most products, a grant, when you when you close on the home, that's your money free and clear. You don't have any restrictions. Some other programs that have a grant, they require that you stay in the home for five years um, or you know something of the, of the like. It, it depends on the program. Um, and then the second option is going to be a repayable option. So some repayable options have an, addis- an additional interest rate on them um, that you have to pay along with your mortgage. It's it's very reasonable um, because sometimes there's lower rates with those programs too than maybe what market rate might be. Um, and then some of them you don't have to you don't have an ongoing payment associated with them, but it's due, you know, say in five years or ten years as like a balloon payment, which means you just have to pay it in full five years down the line or 10 years down the line. And some of them, Colorado Housing Finance Agency or CHAFA is a big one. Um, The repayable option for that one, you only have to repay when you refinance, when you move out of the home or when you sell the home. Okay. So they're really, really great programs to help, you know, each person to get, get into the home, you know, start building equity, stop paying their landlord's mortgage, stop paying rent. Um, but maybe they don't have that down payment saved up yet. Cause that can be one of the biggest burdens or biggest challenges, not burdens, I should say of, of purchasing a home for first time home buyers. That's great. And then the last one is something that in my opinion is new, or at least is new to me. Um, the two, one buy down program. 
So the two one buy down or um, a temporary buy down because there's there's different kind of buy downs. But basically, in short, the the two one, for example, um, is is a temporary buy down in comparison to a permanent buy down. So I'll explain the permanent buy down first. Um, so basically, a permanent buy down, um, you are you are paying funds up front to buy down or lower your interest rate. And that one's going to permanently, like that will be your interest rate for the life of the loan, unless if you were to refinance. Okay. Um, the temporary buy-down um, is something where, you know, as as the name suggests, it's going to temporarily lower your interest rate. So for a 2-1 buy-down, it's going to lower your interest rate by 2% for the first year, and then by 1% for the, for the second year. And then by the third year, it's back to the note rate. So for example, if you closed, you know, if today your mortgage rate um, and you closed on your home was six and a half percent, that first year with a two one buy down, um, your interest rate would be applied at four and a half percent. The second year it would be five and a half percent, and the third year it would be six and a half percent. And a lot of people right now are opting for the temporary buy down um, for a number of reasons. Right now, um, it's basically projected that interest rates are going to fall. Um, I would say probably in May. I mean, they've already been falling this week, um, but you know, the economy is so volatile right now, yeah, but who knows, right? this, yeah, in the near future, we'll say, or later this year, um, a lot of economists are projecting that rates will fall. So mm-hmm. if you okay. were to opt for that first option, the permanent buy down, and you pay a lot of funds up front to lower your rate, um, and you want to refinance later this year, you may not have you may not have at that point break, you know, you wouldn't have bro- broken even, I guess. Yeah. On, yeah. Um, those uh, on the buy down piece. Exactly. Yeah. Spent up front. With a temporary buy down, if you did refinance later this year, those funds that would have been spent to temporarily lower your interest rate would not have been completely lost because they're applied to the principal pay down of your mortgage. So that's the reason why, you know, in, in this kind of environment or this climate where interest rates are projected to fall is a more kind of lucrative option. Um, but I have seen some people use, you know, a seller concession or a seller credit to permanently buy down their rate and they're able to buy it down to the point where they're in the low fives. Um, and at that point, rates are not really projected to drop much below that. So they might not even have to worry about a refinance because of course there's costs associated with the refinance, just like there's costs associated with purchasing a home. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was a, a really good synopsis of that. So thank you for for explaining that for everyone. Um, yeah, this, this was great. Thank you so much, Jessica, for coming on and giving everyone an update, you know, kind of what all, all the loan products that are changing, the, the terms of them, you know, the the rules surrounding them and just some different options for people. So hopefully this is really helpful. Um, if anyone has any questions, please reach out to Jessica, you know, for, for, for lending questions that you might have. Um, where can people find you? And of course, we'll, we'll link to the details in our show notes. Um, but, you know, just kind of, if you have a website or, or a phone number, um, you know, uh, please, please let anyone know that, um, might be interested in reaching out. Yeah, totally. Um, so thank you again for having me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, always going to connect with you. So the best way to reach me always is going to be my cell phone. Um, and I don't mind sharing that on a podcast. <laughs> okay, go for it. Yeah. It's just out. Um, my cell number is 314-265-0642. Um, my email is Jessica, J-E-S-S-I-C-A-K, at aslan, A-S-L-A-N-H-L-C.com. And then you can also follow me on Instagram, homes with Jessica Connie.
Well, thank you so much. Um, I so appreciate you coming here and um, everyone stay tuned for part three of our uh, investment guide. Thanks everyone. Thanks Jenny. Bye. Bye.